From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. I'm so excited today to have not only a friend and colleague, but one of the most uh, impressive women in business today. And we're going to talk about the future of U.S. and global competitiveness with her, Deborah Wynn-Smith. She's president of the Council on Competitiveness, which you can all go look at at uh, compete.org, uh, and a premier group of CEOs, university presidents and labor leaders committed to driving U.S. competitiveness. For full disclosure, I am on uh, the board at the council, but I'm so impressed by its work, I wanted Deborah to be with us. Since her appointment as president in 2001, Deborah has spearheaded a national policy issue, top-tier national policy issue. She is recognized in the global business community as a go-to person for strategic council, as exemplified by her recent appointments to the board of directors of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange and as a member of the oversight board of the IRS, all of our favorite uh, groups. <laughs> Educated as a classical archaeologist in Bronze Age Aegean civilizations. Maybe we'll have to ask you about that a bit, Deborah. Deborah says she never imagined her training would eventually provide insights on creativity, innovation, and competitiveness. Her eclectic knowledge and prescient foresight have been called on by three presidents, and she has more than 20 years of experience as a senior U.S. government official, including as Assistant Secretary for Technology in the Department of Commerce during the George H.W. Bush uh, administration. For, this, uh, for the spirit of full disclosure, I already told you I am a member of the Executive Committee of the Council. Deborah, your talents and expertise uh, you know, precede you. Thanks for joining us on Market Edge. Well, thank you, Larry. I'm really delighted and honored to be on uh, Market Edge. And, of course, the program that you've created um, really exemplifies many of the challenges and opportunities of the next stage in American competitiveness. So you are one of our great innovators and have changed the way we look at marketing and branding and how people communicate. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be one of the guests on this show. Thanks so much. Let's start. Let's start right out first, though, because a lot of our listeners don't know about the council's important work, and that its actual history uh, had its roots in the technology industry, which a number of our listeners are from. Maybe just a little history lesson on why the council was set up, uh, who set it up originally, and how it works today, and and who some of the members are, and the kind of work it's doing. Great. Well, the council actually celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, in 2006. And so, you know, just think back 20 years ago to 1986 and think of what was going on in the U.S. economy. Um, you know, this was when we were really at the height of our trade and technology competition with Japan. And, you know, there was the great fear that many of the industries that we had created and led and, you know, had global market share in from machine tools and semiconductors to the auto industry were under tremendous pressure 
from the you know what was seen as the Japanese uh, global juggernaut. And President Reagan um, had established a bipartisan commission on industrial productivity and competitiveness to really try to understand what was going on both globally and how the U.S. should respond. And that was chaired by one of the great CEOs at the time, uh, John Young, the president of, of Hewlett Packard. And, you know, they, they did their commission, their report, and he felt very, very strongly that the private sector had to lead on what were the challenges and issues facing the country's future. So following up this commission um, that really emphasized, interestingly enough, and many of the, the challenges were and policy issues were still pushing, but nonetheless, John Young created the council as a private sector group of leaders that would first begin to understand what does competitiveness really mean, and then most importantly, what do you do about it? How do you galvanize the forces for change in action? And what was unique at the time, and why he's also a, a great innovator in public policy, is that he brought together CEOs from every sector of the economy um, with our leading university presidents and brought labor in because industry, academia, and labor collectively really are the three building blocks of, you know, human uh, resources, of investment, and of infrastructure for any economy. So the council got underway um, with its seminal piece of work called the Competitiveness Index. No one at the time had really begun to think of, well, what are the economic metrics? How do you measure competitiveness? Um, what are some of the inputs and outputs? So in the first few years of the Council, uh, we created what's called the Competitiveness Index. Uh, it's the, the leading global brand for this type of work. Uh, the World Economic Forum and any other group that does economic competitiveness benchmarking really got their start with, with our work. So we measure and assess U.S. economic performance vis-a-vis -vis the global environment, and we release this, you know, every three years or so. So that's our flagship product. And, you know, we've had wonderful CEO leaders of the council um, over, you know, each serving a three-year term from George Fisher when he was CEO of, of Motorola and Kodak to Ray Gil Martin at Merck, Paul Allaire at Xerox, uh, Dwayne Ackerman at Bell South. And, and right now we're very fortunate to have a great CEO leading us, Chad Holliday, uh, the CEO and chairman of DuPont, which is a com company that, again, has been in business for over 200 years but constantly reinvents itself and remains competitiveness through innovation. And we've had fabulous university presidents that work with us, from Chuck Vest at MIT and his successor to our current chairman, um, Wayne Clough, the president of Georgia Tech, and we have a great union leader, uh, Doug McCarran, um, the head of the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, the oldest union in the United States. So, you know, the, the agenda we had was all around how do we compete vis-a-vis -vis Japan when we were losing market share. And the definition that the council really came up with for defining competitiveness is a simple but powerful one. And that is that a nation's competitiveness depends upon its ability to increase its productivity while maintaining a high standard of living for all its citizens and succeeding in global markets. So I always like to say that if a nation does not have productivity growth, you will not see over time an increase in the standard of living for its citizens. So, you know, in parts of the world where there's huge economic growth but not productivity growth, you, they will not have the benefit back to their citizenry that we want to have in each generation of human life. So, so that gives you kind of a broad brush um, of the history of the council. And 
I will say just in terms of impact that, you know, one of the things that we are very proud of, we really were the organization that first branded and, and understood the meaning of innovation and its linkage to productivity and prosperity. And from, you know, you participated in, Larry, in one of our, our first innovation summit we had back in 1998 at MIT when nobody even knew kind of what the word meant. And, you know, now the concept of innovation as the driver of productivity and prosperity is really permeated through every think tank and, and corporation and throughout the world as well. And I, I really give the council credit for that movement. Uh, I agree. And that, that was, you know, seminal work in the beginning. It, you know, a lot of people always claim that, uh, you know, they understand innovation, but innovation is a hard thing. It's something that takes uh, in, intense work and analytics, and the council has done a lot of that. You, you talked a bit, you know, about our core, the core product of the council being sort of this, uh, you know, performance metric. How, how's the U.S. doing right now uh, in, in the council, in your, your opinion, um, from a competitive uh, point of view? I mean, what's, what's our report card looking like right now, Deborah? Well, you know, one of the things I want to say up front is that when you look at a snapshot of the economy and its performance, you know, it's not the quarterly stockholder report. It's not the three months, and it's not even a year snapshot. You really have to look at it over a period of years, and that's why we do this index, you know, every three to four years. But, you know, still the United States economy is the strongest in the world, um, we've had faster growth than any other major developed nation over the past decade. Our standard of living is higher. Um, we still are the major recipient of foreign direct investment and high-value investment. Um, you know, we hold 40% of global assets. Uh, this is a really interesting metric. With 5% of the world's population, we employ one-third of the world's science and engineering researchers. And we publish 30% of all scientific articles. And we also, of course, have a very deep entrepreneurial culture with, um, you know, dynamic financial markets that has fueled this. And, and one of the interesting metrics to look at, too, is just think back 20 years ago or even 10 years ago at the major global corporations that have been the game changers of, of how we work and live. Um, and most of them have actually come out of the United States. So that's on the good side. Um, but the fact of it is, in spite of our great productivity growth that occurred really um, during this, this period of time over the last uh, 10 years, we do see some very disturbing signs going forward in the future for our economic performance and productivity and standard of living. Uh, one of the issues, of course, is, is the fact that um, we have a... Uh, slow down in job growth from our large global enterprises. In fact, this is a very, very interesting piece of data that's really profound. Over the last five years, there has been negative job growth in the United States from our large global enterprises. The only job growth that's coming into our nation is from small and medium-sized businesses. So that's a challenge. We also, of course, you know, on the human resource side, have some very serious issues in the decline in the number of Americans going into math and science and engineering careers. We also have some very, very serious challenges on our financial uh, stability. You know, our, we, we have a very, we call them the triple deficits. We have a very serious deficit in our um, uh, spending as a nation. 
we have a very, uh, the, the federal deficit, you know, we're, the government's spending a lot more money than it's bringing in, and that's really escalated in the last few years uh, because of, among other things, the uh, war in Iraq and other expenditures. But we also have a huge savings deficit. Americans are not saving enough compared to the rest of the world. And then we have, you know, the burgeoning trade deficit, current account deficit that's, you know, over 5% of GDP. And collectively what that means is that we do not have the investment capital here that we should have to make the investments in education and infrastructure for the next generation of innovation and productivity. So on the financial side, you know, we do have some very serious uh, negatives on the competitiveness uh, future going forward. The, um, what, what countries does the council see as, you know, everybody talks about uh, China, 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 China. Uh, is, is, is that our, you know, big concern right now, much like at the beginning of the council it was Japan, or does the council not focus on, you know, sort of individual, uh, you know, country uh, competitive issues? Well, you know, one of the, the great transformations of the last 10 years, really, um, is the acceleration of the emergence of uh, emerging markets in terms of exports, you know, investment flows. You know, they're investing in the next generation of people. Uh, they're actually looking at our innovation and competitiveness models and, and making very conscious choices that they don't want to just be a place for low-value outsourced manufacturing. Um, they want to be a place that's in the forefront of innovation capacity. So, you know, if you look at the countries that are really in this mix of emerging markets and emerging nations, obviously um, China is huge just by virtue of its population, but also by virtue of the fact that, you know, it is the uh, manufacturing powerhouse right now for many of the global enterprises from all over the world. So China is very, very serious. They, you know, are determined to have world-class universities. Um, not only are there people being educated outside China, but they're returning back. They're even, you know, beginning to offer stock options for entrepreneurs, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> significant. So China is very important. India, obviously, has had a huge uh, emergence as one of the players, particularly through IT and software. Interestingly enough, India really got its start back in the 80s in Bangalore, and I, I like to say this because it's a little-known fact. Um, India had a terrible record on protecting intellectual property and still does in some sectors, yep. but they decided that it was in their interest to protect software and uh, uh, software masks as copyrighted works of art. And I think there's a direct linkage between the fact that the leading players in software in the world came to India and invested and built up um, you know, the capacity for India to now emerge as a global player um, in software and IT, and there's that direct linkage to the enabling condition of intellectual property protection. Brazil, you know, again, is, 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 is a country with a huge population, very advanced technology in aerospace and agriculture, um, moving forward in a big way to be the, this is their ambition, to be the leader in biorenewable fuels, and, then, and, and let's not forget Russia and, you know, the uh, former East Bloc nations, again, um, have had a very high percentage of their populations in science and technology and, you know, have natural resources that are very important. So, you know, again, you can look at these, I guess they're called the newly emerging countries of the world as, as competitors, but 
there are partners too, and there are markets. So uh, you know, the, the issue is how we're going to collaborate and compete with this growing uh, global base of uh, competitiveness that's emerging that's good for the world. Uh, thanks, Deborah. We'll be right back. We're going to take just a short break uh, for a commercial right now. Please stand by, and we'll be coming back to continue our conversation with Deborah Wynn Smith, um, who runs the uh, amazingly impactful Council on Competitiveness out of Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah, GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. Um, hello? Uh, welcome to our website? Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. SEO 101 is now in session. Today's topic is duplicate content. Today's topic is duplicate content. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you jagdor. <laughs> it just needed to be done. I'm sorry. <laughs> New episodes Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And check out their live broadcast Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Get clicked, covered, and rained on all week long on WebmasterRadio.fm. Your destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Deborah Wynn Smith president of the Council on Competitiveness, and even though it's Washington-based, I've got to say it's one of the most impactful councils uh, I've ever worked with, and is really important to anybody's job, uh, especially our audience, uh, around uh, the, the future of, of our companies and, and how they're going to compete in an even more aggressive uh, world. Uh, Deborah, I have a sort of a, a little off-the-path uh, question for you. How, how important is American entrepreneurism 
to uh, to competitiveness around the world. And has the council talked a bit or, or studied uh, the impact of entrepreneurism on on the way we compete for business? Well, absolutely. It is one of our um, crown jewels. It's one of our unique, I think, assets. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of the roots of our nation. I mean, we were entrepreneurs. Virtually every American's heritage is entrepreneurship because when our uh, forefathers came to this country, uh, they were being entrepreneurs. They were taking risk, which is at the heart of being entrepreneur, with the belief that they would have a great reward. So I, I like to say that, you know, we all somehow have this gene for entrepreneurship built into us. It's in our DNA now. And, you know, I think I mentioned, uh, Larry, that in terms of future job growth, entrepreneurship really is the key to our future because that's where the jobs are going. They're not going to be coming from large global enterprises. Here, here's another interesting statistic I, I forgot to mention that's very important. Um, right now, our big global enterprises, fantastic companies, you know, that, that create tremendous value all over the world, they are creating three $3.4 trillion worth of revenue outside the United States. So three times the value of all our exports is being produced by U.S. global enterprises in the world. So, I mean, that's a really fantastic number, but it also means that the future is in entrepreneurship. So, you know, we were the ones, of course, that really invented venture capital. Um, we invented the angel networks. Um, that so much power, regional uh, innovation, and what occurs with uh, tremendous uh, capabilities coming out of our leading research uh, universities and national labs. And so, you know, this entrepreneurial culture that we uh, want to build on and embed across all of our enterprises is really one of our competitive advantages. And I will tell you that every week at the U.S. Council, Larry, we receive delegations from all over the world who are coming here to study and understand, you know, what goes on in Boston when you walk across, you know, the, the, the campus and are in a coffee shop in Cambridge when all these entrepreneurs and deal makers are going on and these networks that, that create the future. This is fantastic for the United States. And um, we uh, certainly not only study it, but we want to stimulate it and accelerate it through uh, the work we're doing on regional innovation across the nation. You know, that's an interesting point. I know, um, you know, our listeners are from all over the country, and I know one of the areas that uh, Michael Porter had, uh, had studied, and I know he had some uh, done some work with the council, but, you know, you know, everybody talks, and, and I'm so happy because I live up here, as everybody knows, in, in the Boston-Cambridge area, but we talk about innovation here. We talk about it in Silicon Valley. Um, how about other areas? I mean, are we seeing, you know, um, you know some, some really – Innovation and entrepreneurship and competitive edge coming out of of some some newer cities that uh, that aren't mentioned every time uh, creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship are mentioned. Absolutely, and you know the, the the thing that's going on in the country, which is very exciting, is governors as well as leaders in communities across many you know stakeholder groups, from workforce boards to economic developers to um, you know school boards. There's a realization that, you know, we can't compete and prosper on commodities anymore or on standardized products. And, you know, manufacturing jobs that were high-paying jobs, 
you know, those jobs really um, can be shipped any place in the world. The issue is what kind of work gives us the ability to pay Americans enough money to maintain and grow this wonderful standard of living we've, we continue to create for our citizens. So I'll give you an example of an interesting part of the country, um, the, the old heartland of the industrial Midwest, you know, Ohio, Michigan, you know, the auto industry, the tire industry, machine tools and things. They are moving very aggressively, you know, to create a high-value economy that merges manufacturing and services around advanced materials. In fact, you know, the Akron-Canton region is calling themselves, you know, the, uh, the polymer network. <laughs> and so that's a really interesting place to look at as well because there's been, you know, tremendous dislocation in that part of the region of the country that was the prowess um, for industrial might in the 20th century. Another, uh, lots of interesting things going on in Tennessee and in southern Ohio and Georgia, um, all centered around Oak Ridge National Lab and the University of Tennessee. I mean, they've now got the most advanced broadband wireless backbone for communication that's across these states and in the region and doing unbelievable things in both turning out new entrepreneurial companies but in building skilled workforces to support that. Um, you know, clearly North Carolina that, and, and other parts of the South that have seen the devastation from, you know, the textile industry uh, leaving this country, the commoditized one, they again are in this process of reinventing themselves. But the, the real thing that's happening is that constituencies and groups that didn't normally interact together are coming together to understand what are our assets, what is the potential, and what do we need to do to be a place that it keeps it and grows it <laughs> and that's kind of a mantra for you know economic success in regions um, you can't just depend on a company swooping in and deciding to put a manufacturing or service operation in your in your state or region right um, you know along the lines of impact um, and I concur with everything you said you know when you started when the I mean not you but when the council was started uh, over 20 years ago, you know, there was really no uh, World Wide Web. There was, you know, the Internet that the government was using. But, you know, it took a few more years before Tim Berners-Lee's, um, you know, invention uh, started to take hold. From your perspective, more of a personal perspective even, not just the councils, but uh, maybe both, is what is really the impact on competitiveness been by the the continual uh, absorption of the use of the web uh, throughout the world? Well, it has created a, for the first time in human history, and, you know, we don't really know the huge impact of this yet in just the core essence of being a human being and, and our development opportunities, but it's created a, a real-time global trade in tasks. You know, we like to say here at the council, if work is routine, if it's codified, if it could be digitized, there's going to be a place in the world that can perform it. And companies are, and individuals are making those decisions in real time through the being enabled through the Internet. So, you know, communications and knowledge have always been at the heart of obtaining competitive advantage and also at the heart of collaboration. So the Internet and this instantaneous access to you know, information is, is profound. Now, the issue is what kind of knowledge and wisdom and understanding do individuals and groups and enterprises and regions and nations derive from that? 
And so I, I like to think that it's how you use these tools, because this is another tool, in effect. How you use it in a way to add value is really going to be the future. So, you know, you see so many new businesses, political movements, everything being enabled by this information um, uh, platform that is truly transformational, both for the good and, as you know, Larry, you, you know this better than I, for the bad as well. I mean, um, there are lots of things that occur on the Internet that can't be seen or monitored that are not necessarily good. You know, we have issues with controlling sometimes our children's access. But on the whole, this is just the most incredible thing that's, I think, happened in human development. Yeah, and, um, you know, just that we're doing our show, you know, on uh, uh, on the web, uh, you know, sort of plans that out. But I think we've only just seen the beginning of the impact, especially as the web becomes highly more visual and uh, wireless in its reach uh, as more and more people jump on. Uh, I think it's actually a great opportunity for America to uh, to show its leadership uh, in a in a uh, you know thoughtful and transparent way. Well, yes, and think of you know some of our great universities, MIT and others, putting their course syllabus and courseware out on the web. So you know wherever you are in the world, if you have access to a computer and your society doesn't block your access or your government doesn't block you, you know you can have access to this knowledge and and information. So it really is. I, I'll tell you one little. Uh, Scary story here since we're approaching the tax season any day now. I mean, April 15th will roll around sooner than we think. But, you know, you, you mentioned I'm a member of the IRS Oversight Board that oversees our Internal Revenue Service. And, uh, you know, let's not forget that everything we do as a government nation depends on this incredible voluntary tax system that's really at the heart of our democracy. But every day the IRS is having to monitor and shut down um, efforts to intrude into their databases, and they're very successful in doing that. But there are constant phishing sites that are put up on the web that are purported to be the IRS asking people, saying to people in effect, oh, you want your refund early, give us your bank account, and we'll put it right in your, your, uh, oh, your bank account. Oh, so this boy. is an example of identity theft, you know, all sorts of things that, are enabled by this communication. So I, I just share that because I hope everybody that's listening to this uh, program, when uh, they see any of these sites pop up on the web, will know that they're uh, an example of the dark side and, and not to follow them. No, no, but that's, you know, that's, it's important that we're all aware of that. I think, you know, as we move toward, you know, sort of one global community, it's important that we all are aware of the, uh, the negative side and, and and that's great. And let's use this platform uh, for the power that it has from a positive point of view. Now, we're, we're starting to run out of time. I have so many more questions for you. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, your NASDAQ role a little bit. You know, have, have, has, has that been exciting in seeing some of the more interesting emerging companies? Uh, they, they pretty much 100% come out if they're going to IPO on, uh, on the NASDAQ. Uh, and my guess is we have more in this country than any place else. But uh, how's that experience been for you? Well, it's been fantastic. And, you know, I've, I've had the fortune to be on the board now since 2005 and have been witnessing and participating in this whole um, global consolidation of exchanges and the movement of exchanges to become global enterprises. And, 
you know, NASDAQ itself, the very creation of NASDAQ, the electronic trading platform, was a great innovation. And really, it helped create our biotechnology industry because it was the only way to raise capital for the R&D investment in new products and biotech that were years away, you know, from, from approval and everything. So it's interesting how you can link the innovation of electronic trading, IPOs, to the creation of the U.S. and, and global bi biotech industry. So that's an interesting example of the continuum. But, you know, one of the things that's very important, and I, I, again, I've seen this through NASDAQ, and we're very proud at NASDAQ that we maintain and insist on the highest standards of corporate governance and transparency. And there has been some talk, you know, that Sarbanes-Oxley really was hurting IPOs and hurting the ability to drive this entrepreneurial economy. And, you know, clearly there's some truth in that because it's costly and, and the time and everything. But once you get through that, to be able to list on NASDAQ is really saying to the world, we have the highest standards of corporate governance and transparency. And for investors, that's very, very important. So I don't know if you're aware, Larry, but NASDAQ has uh, actually emerged into the global environment. Uh, the new entity soon to, to, to be announced formally is uh, NASDAQ OMX Group, and that's the former, well, Scandinavian exchange is OMX, and NASDAQ also uh, has a new uh, equity partner in the Dubai board. So you're going to be seeing NASDAQ as well, of course, as the New York Stock Exchange, as truly global enterprises um, for this whole uh, entrepreneurial economy and also for making equity and options and derivatives again, something that's enabled through the electronic platform. So it's very, very exciting. Well, Deborah, you know what? It's amazing that a half hour has gone by already because I have so many more questions around, you know, the impact of a, of a McCain presidency or an Obama or a Clinton presidency on our competitiveness, uh, you know, the, the amazing academic institutions that are part of the council and their point of views on that. Maybe we'll have to revisit and hopefully you'll agree to come maybe in the fall sometime before the election and, and spend another half hour with us. I would love to and I would just like to conclude if I could with one comment about the presidential campaigns. I think one of the very exciting things is that all of the candidates that are out there right now, they do believe in innovation and investment in R&D and building a skilled workforce for America. So I think however that comes out in these issues we're talking about this, after, this afternoon, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of continuity to build on these assets. So that's really good news. Deborah Wynn-Smith, President of the Council on Competitiveness, and a dear friend, thanks so much for being with us on Market Edge today. Thank you, Larry, and thank you for being one of our great innovators. Uh, for Thanks for that, Deborah. For Market Edge listeners, if you want to know more, and I encourage you uh, to know more about the Council on Competitiveness, please go to compete.org and learn more about it. Um, this is Larry Weber and for Market Edge. Thanks again for joining us and tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time to webmasterradio.fm for another great conversation on Market Edge. Till then, have a good week. Bye-bye.